Good morning. Well, good morning. That was incredibly enthusiastic on my part, I guess. All right, we're in Acts chapter 20. If you have a Bible, would you turn there? If you're in our app, you can turn there on the Bible, in the Bible app. Uh, or if you need a Bible, there's one on the chair underneath you or in front of you, whatever is easiest. Uh, as Pastor Joey said, we're doing baptisms today. And here's something I always like to, to just point out as we're getting ready to do baptisms. There are five people this morning that prepared for baptism. This is something that they've been preparing for, that we have met about, that we've talked about. Uh, and they are here today. They're ready to be baptized, and that's exciting. However, there's also the possibility that you've never been baptized. And that maybe you're here today, maybe you're here for the first time, maybe you've been coming for a little bit, and baptism isn't something you've ever participated in. And so we make that available to you as well. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in the message um, but just know that even though you didn't prepare, we've prepared. And we have baptism, we have shorts and a t-shirt. And if this, is, if this is a day where you wanted to take that step and say, you know what, I've never been baptized. I want to be baptized. I want to take that step of faith, cross the line into following Jesus. Then just know that we've prepared for that for you as well. And so Acts chapter 20 is where we're going to be today. Will you stand with me as I read a portion of the passage that we're going to be in? We read this, we stand and we read God's word just in a way of just saying that we, we know that it's God's word that has authority, that it's not me, it's, it's not what I say today, but it's God's word. And so we do this in a way of just reverence and honor to God's word. Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 32, it says this, and now I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping in the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Will you pray with me? Jesus, as we remember these words of Paul, as Paul knelt down on the shores of Miletus to pray with the Ephesian elders, what we get a glimpse into is to the relationship of, of men that you have called kneeling and, and weeping and praying with other men that you have called to lead the church. We get a, a unique window into the heart of leadership and, and the call of those who have been called to lead the church, the depth and the weight that they feel over shepherding and caring for other people spiritually. Lord, Paul is this unique example as really the book of Acts narrows down and follows him. As we watch him meet with these elders of a church that he has pastored, Lord, we get, a, we get a window into the calling upon each and every one of us. Our call is to follow you, imitate you, Jesus, as Paul did. We don't imitate Paul. He's a flawed and broken man just like we are. But he was a follower of yours. We seek to follow you. Jesus, will you speak? May I fade somewhere into the background. Jesus, will you come with your words? Your words give us life. Jesus, we need life today in this world. Will you speak? It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. If you're a note taker, I want to give you some notes both for today, for the message, and for community groups this week. 
main idea today is because Christ, Christ has purchased us with his death, we need to understand that the calling of the church is greater than our own personal desires. So because Jesus gave his life so that we could sit here today, right? The, the reason we are here is because Jesus died to give us this, right? That we could be joined together with his spirit in his name under his father worshiping today. He died for that. Oftentimes we celebrate people, we celebrate military or first responders who go in and they, they literally give their lives for other people. Well, in that, we, we, rec we recognize that, we see that in human form, but even to a greater extent, Jesus gave his life that we might be here today. And because of that, his call to us is that we would respond by giving our lives to follow him. And that following him, seeking his mission, doing what he has called us to do is greater than our own personal desires. Acts chapter 20 starts right here, verse 1. It says this, and after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. So we're picking up. This is really the beginning of the back end of the book of Acts, right? This is, this is going to be where the, the book of Acts now narrows down and follows Paul all the way into what will lead to his eventual death. We won't see him die in the book, but we will see him taken to Jerusalem in chains. And, and this is Paul now in Ephesus. He has pastored a church, planted a church, started a church in Ephesus, pastored it there for about three years. And what he has done in the midst of this is he has raised up elders who he's going to hand off the church to. And elders simply are godly men, followers of God, who are entrusted with the care of the church. Like we have elders in our church, godly men that God has raised up and called, equipped to lead our church. Paul is now handing this church off to them. He's saying, listen, I'm going to go on and go back to what God has called me to do. That I will go from town to town and I will help start churches. And that's really what Paul spends his time doing. He will do that until he's arrested. And then on his journey towards Jerusalem in chains, we will follow that as he just lives out his life. Really what we're talking about today, that he will live out the call and the mission of God despite his own personal comforts, which will be definitely taken away from him. He will live that calling of a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And so now it says, after the uproar ceased, this is right on the heels of the riot in Ephesus. If you were here last week, you, you heard about this. We unpacked this in our community groups. And really what took, what took place is as Paul went into a city called Ephesus, a very Greek Roman culture city that had a prominent worship of a goddess named Diana or Artemis, there was this massive upheaval as people began to follow Jesus. What took place is they began to renounce their following of a false idol. And so there's an entire community coming to faith. They're seeing it kind of transform Ephesus. And, and what we saw and what started the riot was this, that the people who made silver, silver idols, gods, Artemis, they profited from making those idols. And the, cha the change in the community was so, so pronounced that they were losing money because people were coming to faith and no longer worshiping Artemis. So that's what really caused this revolt. And so a riot or something very close to a riot breaks out in the public square in Ephesus. And we just talked about last week, what an amazing thing to have an entire city transformed by people coming to faith and just the, the change that takes place as we all come to faith. What an amazing outcome that the city is so impacted that things that are counter to God go away. 
We talked about wanting to eradicate sex trafficking, eradicate drug dealing, eradicate pornography, or any business that would draw us away and hurt our community. What if it were just transformed because of you and I coming to faith and being changed? And as that trickles out to those that we know and love that don't know Jesus yet, as they are changed and they are transformed, we see this sweeping change throughout our community. Well, because of this change, those that disagree with that obviously are rioting in Ephesus. And as this dies down, this is where we pick up our story. Verse 2. When he, meaning Paul, had gone through those regions that he had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece, and there he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews... And he was about to set sail for Syria. He decided to return through Macedonia. So Paul has a tendency to go back through cities that he's been in. He has a relationship with churches that he started. Now, you guys, uh, many of you who know me, I've pastored multiple churches. I've planted churches and restarted churches. And now here we are today. And so there's, there's relationships with those churches that I've been a part of, whether served on their staffs or started them and led them or, or, or led them at some season, right? And there's a, there's a relationship with them. There are people in churches that I was able to baptize, for example, or that leaders that I was able to disciple and hand off to or, or do whatever. And there's this intimate connection with those churches. And there's oftentimes where I get to go and spend time with them, maybe just worship with them or teach there or do something. And there's always this joy in going back and seeing people. It's funny. It's, it's the joy is in seeing people I don't know. Right? You understand that? That I would go there and that I would find a, a, a crowd filled with people, hundreds of people that I don't know. And what that means is that the church is doing what it's supposed to do. It's not just the same old people. Right? That it is reaching new people, and there are new generations of faith taking place right there. And it's a joy to see that and know that the church is reaching other people. And so Paul goes back through these towns, goes back through these cities, and he encourages the churches that he's been a part of. He'll build them up, and if they're struggling through a problem, he'll sit and pray with them and work through through it with them and just spend time with them. Verse 4, it says, So Peter, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of the unleavened bread. And in five days, we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Now, I want you to know that all those names of all those cities and all those people, I, I pronounced them perfectly. <laughs> that is my deeply uh, educated uh, time... I don't know what I'm saying either. We talked about this in community group. Just say it like you own it and people will believe you. So if you're reading this in a Bible study or with your friends, just just drive through it like you know what you're doing. All right? That's all you got to do. And people will go, oh, that's how you say that word. You're like, that's it. Here's what takes place here. Luke is writing now a firsthand account. Luke is writing that he is along this journey with Paul, with Timothy, with the Asiarchs, with the other folks. And he's writing what he sees as he begins to take notice of the shift in what's going on. And so really all I wanted to say is, as he says this, he says, but we sailed away from Philippi, right? And in five days, we came to them at Troas and we stayed with them for seven days. Luke has joined this journey and will finish on with Paul. And so what he's doing is he's writing this firsthand account. And what I What I think is really beautiful about this is he is going to be able to capture a moment between Paul 
a simple pastor. And I say simple, is, is, he's just a simple pastor. Yeah, he, he's probably one of the most famous names in the first century. I don't mean just first century Christianity. I mean one of the most famous names of the first century. Second only to Jesus, he is clearly one of the most impacting Christian leaders in the last 2,000 years. But he's just a simple pastor. He spent time with people. He believed deeply in a gospel that he gave away freely. His life, where it was marked with difference, was this. That he put the mission of the gospel above his own personal desires. That he was just a man so given over to the gospel of Jesus Christ that whatever that gospel called him to, whatever it was, whatever he was called to do, whether it was go into this city that he wanted to go into or not wanted to go into or don't go to this city, go to that city or trust in God. Just a few weeks ago, we saw him say, stay here. I know everybody's mad at you. Stay here. I won't let anybody hurt you. Or if it's to give up the church he's been pastoring for three years to go on and do something new, he would follow whatever God would say. He was a simple pastor whose life was given over to not being about himself, but being about the gospel. And Luke will record this, this one conversation that, that has deeply influenced me, has deeply impacted me as I get to watch this through the lens of both a pastor and an elder. Verse seven, it says, on the first day of the week, Luke writes, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. He prolonged his speech until about midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus. Let me just set the stage. So there's this upper room, and in Jewish culture, we see a lot of upper rooms. Jesus took his disciples to an upper room to celebrate Passover with, where we get our practice of communion, right? We see the church gathered in Acts 1 in an upper room, about 120 of them gathered in an upper room, so a large room, room this size or bigger, where a group like this, basically, this size gathered as the Holy Spirit descended on the church for the first time, right? This upper room, this was this Jewish gathering space that was in, uh, you know, in homes that had the means to do so. And so they're in this room, they're in this upper room, and there are lamps going, and that's important because lamps give off this kind of fume that is going to affect the story in a minute. But there's this candlelit kind of feel as these lamps are there. They've been there a long time. It's getting to be about midnight now. And Paul is beginning to, to preach. He's beginning to give this message. He's going to teach the group. And it says, verse 9, And a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul still talked longer. <laughs> and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. You guys feel bad for him. I'm thinking that's what he gets for sleeping in church, right? I mean, like, to be fair, right? We see this from a different vantage point, right? And I know there's just a plethora of jokes to, to be made about long-winded pastors. At, not that that would ever happen here, right? But I just have you know, no one has ever died in any of our services. We did have 911 called one time. Uh, that was an awkward story. That was not because I had preached that long. It was at the beginning of the message, all right? And, and really, I mean, we've seen crazier things happen in the church. But this church is gathered, and Paul begins to speak. It's getting late. This guy literally falls out a third-story window. And I love this line. Now, remember, Luke's telling this story from his perspective. And it says, and he sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. 
I'm just saying. Verse 10. But when Paul went down and bent over him and he was taking him in his arms, he says, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. Did that slow Paul down from preaching longer? No. He still went until like daybreak. I like that. That's a man of conviction. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. I think this is the most underappreciated miracle in all of the Bible, right? This could have been a really bad day for Paul, right? This could have been a really big stain on his preaching career. And yet this guy lives after falling out of a three-story window. So what does Paul do to celebrate? He goes on and preaches until daybreak. Gotta love Paul, right? Verse 13, but going on ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asaz, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and we met at Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came up the following day opposite Chios, and the next day we touched on Samos. And the next day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to set sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So, Remember that Paul is, in his past, he is a former Jewish religious leader, right? Who, while out persecuting Christians, literally arresting, beating, and putting Christians to death, while out doing that, out, Jesus confronts him verbally, right? Visually, blinds Paul, speaks to Paul, where others hear this. He's with other people that all kind of experience the same kind of idea, but he speaks directly to Paul, Paul has this radical transformation. Paul becomes a follower of Jesus instead of a persecutor of Jesus. And after a few years spending learning about Jesus, Paul goes on to become an early church leader. And so Paul is out traveling around. He's sharing the gospel. He's doing these things. And he is uh, really an itinerant church planter, town to town to town doing this. And this passage right here gets us really from Macedonia to Miletus, going around Ephesus. And so instead of going back by a church that he had recently been a part of, started, pastored, and handed off, as he goes out and he spends several months out on the road, while he goes back there, he this time kind of dodges Ephesus, if you will. And what the story just tells us is that in order to stop in Ephesus for him, it would not have been a short stay. And he feels like God is calling him to Jerusalem. He's, he's felt that God has set him towards Jerusalem, that God is calling Paul to go back to Jerusalem to share the gospel in Jerusalem. And so what Paul wants is this. He wants to go back and he wants to be there at Pentecost, at the day that the Feast of First Fruits, which is what Pentecost is. I know when we hear Pentecost in the Christian church, we think of where the Holy Spirit came down on the, on the, first, century, on the first church early in that upper room, Right? But this was a Jewish feast, a feast of first fruits. And so this is 50 days after their last feast. He wants to be back in Jerusalem. He wants to be there in time where all these Jews who have been a part of the dispersion of Jews all across the known world would come back and they would celebrate and worship in Jerusalem. Really, basically what he's saying is, I want to be back there at the time when the crowd in Jerusalem is its highest because in his heart he's still a Jewish religious leader who has begun to follow Jesus and has a heart for Jewish men and women. He has a heart for the people that he is from, that he comes from, that he has his roots in. 
That would be like, you know, just wherever your background is, just having a heart for those folks, whether that's in the recovery community or that's in a specific ethnic group, a, a different first language, you know, Spanish or Korean or Chinese. You have this heart to reach people of your own community. Well, that's where Paul is, and he, and he, he goes around Ephesus so that he's not caught for a long time in Ephesus because he really, really wants to be in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. Verse 17, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So Paul sends someone into Ephesus and asks if the elder of the church can sail over to Miletus and meet with him. Verse 18, it says, and when they came to him, he said to him, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring you anything that was profitable. And teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a unique passage. This is Paul's only real message or uh, I, I wouldn't call it really preaching, but it's a teaching time. But it's really Paul's only teaching time that we're given a window into where he's speaking directly to believers, in fact, leaders in a church. Everything else that we get from Paul, every other recorded conversation, message, evangelism, all these other things are either to Jewish, to Jewish non-believers or to Greek or, or, or non-Jewish non-believers, like we see him in the, in the marketplace in Athens or up on Mars Hill, other places, but we see him always speaking to non-believers. We know he speaks to believers, he pastored a church, but we get this one window in. What I did is I just, I wanted to pull three questions out of that that we could take and unpack in our community groups. So this will be in your notes for community groups, but I wanted to put them up for you. For those of you that uh, like to answer these questions ahead of time, do you have that, Pedro? So community group questions. How did Paul view his own life and his self-worth? And he talks about this in his, in his speech to these Ephesian elders. How is that different than we view ourselves and what are we called to do in response to this? So if you have the app, this is in the app. You don't have to write it down. If you're in a community group, your community group leaders will all have that. But here's what he says. I just want to read this to you again. He says, and when he came to them, he said to them, verse 18, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials, what happened to me through the plots of the Jews, and how I did not shrink from declaring you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks, of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Suffice to say, his message wraps up with this idea of repentance and life transformation. It was kind of our theme last week as we talked about how transformed people transform communities. And really, that's his message to the Ephesian elders is to remind them. They've seen this. They've seen this on a massive scale where their church literally caused so much change inside of a community that it, it transformed the entire community to the point where people began to riot because the culture was so transformed. But he's reminding the Ephesian elders, don't get comfortable there. Like remember, remember how I lived my life in front of you as Paul calls to, to say, listen, I was a witness to you of how to follow Jesus and how that this should lead towards repentance and life transformation. And he leaves this message with these elders whom he deeply loves. Verse 22, and he says, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. 
So Paul's been told, in fact, a prophet, I think his name is Agabus, called Paul to him, took Paul's belt and bound Paul's hands, just wrapped him up, like handcuffed him, and said, this is how you're going to Jerusalem. Just imagine that. So if you come up to me and say, listen, I know you've got this trip planned, and you threw some handcuffs on me and go, this is how you're going to that trip. Chances are I'm seeing if I have insurance on those flights, right? I'm thinking, well, what can we do differently? Because clearly God does not want me to suffer, right? He loves me. Here's what Paul knows. Constrained by the Spirit. In other words, he is driven by the Spirit inside him saying, I know I've got a plan for you here. And here's how you're going to go. In every city, affliction and imprisonment await you. In every city. Not just one. Not just when you get to Jerusalem. Like, along the way, the journey's going to be tough. But Paul, I've got something for you to do. Paul has to balance this. Okay, now, what is God calling me to here? See, Paul's a student of Jesus. Let me give you some words that Jesus said here. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. There's a pivot point in each of the gospels where Jesus is out and he is sharing about the gospel of the kingdom with other people and he's out and he's talking to people and he is discipling his disciples. He's training his disciples. He is sending them out for practice. He's gathering together and teaching them and debriefing them. He's going out and doing miracles and healing people and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom to large crowds of people. But at each gospel, here in, in Matthew, there's, there's a clear one in Mark, and on, on and on, where this term where he pivots, and he sets, Mark says it this way, that he set his face toward Jerusalem. But this is why. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the Jewish religious leaders, and then be killed, but raised on the third day. See, the gospel is this, right? The gospel is that God created us and loves us and calls us to be worshipers of his. And, and worship, to, to be a worshiper of God is just to live a life that brings glory to God. Now, all of us know, not all of us know, we have all done wrong willingly, recently, I'm sure, that we have all what the Bible calls sin, just gone our own way. Really, all sin is just saying, God, I know you've called me to this, and you've said this is what right, what's right, but... I know better than you, and I'm going to do this, right? That's really all it is. It's us trying to be our own God and not following or submitting to the God who created us. And because of that, like like sin in a marriage or like unfaithfulness in a marriage, we've just severed that relationship between us and God by sin. But God in his love and his grace and his mercy and his benevolence said, I don't want this to be what defines us. And so you'll never, you'll never follow me. You'll, you'll never be perfect. You'll never be worshipers of mine if I don't engage the story. And so God says, I will give you my son. God will become flesh. He will enter into this life. He will live the life you and I are called to live. He will do it willingly. He will do it at, at a constant risk and threat and discomfort. He will do it to the point where he has lived this out so much that the religious leadership will put him to death. And he will willingly go to his death, a death on a cross, a brutal and violent death. And he will do that so that we can be in relationship with God again. He says, I will gladly trade me for you. 
I will gladly die that you can be made alive. Right? And we talk about baptism today. Here's what we'll say. We will baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Trinitarian baptism as Jesus commands us to do. Right? And then we say die to the flesh. And they go into the water. And then we say arise in Christ. Right? Because we, because of Christ, his death and resurrection, we have new life. And I, I often joke and say, listen, if it was just about forgiveness of sin, it would, it would be like this. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Die to the flesh. That wouldn't go well, would it? Bubbles and a little kicking of feet, right? right? Arise in Christ. Like, there's a difference here. So Jesus went and gave his life for our sin, Yes. But then three days later, Jesus raises from the grave, giving away new life, giving away the transformation, the life that you and I need, that we can be made different, right? Ezekiel prophesies about this hundreds of years before Jesus, and he says this, that God will take from us that hard heart, that heart of stone, and he will give us a heart of flesh, one that can beat for God, and he will cleanse us, and he will give us his spirit, and he will cause us to walk in his ways. That resurrection of giving us new life and, and, and death that takes away our sin, those, that's what we talk about when we talk about baptism. Jesus says, I must go to Jerusalem. Paul says it this way, back in verse 22. He says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Here's what Jesus understood. Here's what he taught Paul. Here's what Paul understood, and he would teach us to today. Like Jesus, Paul understood that the mission of the gospel was more important than his personal life. This is often lost on the modern church. Paul understood that him going to Jerusalem, that him being arrested, beaten, imprisoned, and killed was more important, that the gospel would move forward. Jesus did the same thing, but he went back to Jerusalem to accomplish the gospel. Paul will continue on to Jerusalem, and he will give of his own life willingly. He will die for the message of the gospel that Jesus accomplished for us so that others can hear it. And here's what he calls us to. He calls us to the same thing. Now, maybe we won't really give our life. Maybe we won't bleed and die for the gospel. But that we all, not just pastors or elders or leaders or missionaries or, or whatever else, that we should all give our lives to the gospel, give our lives for the gospel, that we should give away whatever lives we've been given so that others can hear about Jesus. Now, 99% of us will do that in the context of just going to work every day, going to school, and the relationships and friends and the things that we have, the people that we live around in our neighborhoods, the people we work with or go to school with, whatever it is but that we would lay down our personal desires that the gospel would move forward. We don't have to go die and be martyred. We can't accomplish, I mean, we don't have to accomplish the gospel. Jesus has already done that. And Paul, Paul is one of the rare exceptions that he will actually die for the gospel. Now that's true here. This is this, that outside of this country and specific places in the world right now, you are very likely to die for your faith. He would still call you to give your life for the faith, but here, we have it pretty comfortable. That doesn't mean that just because we're comfortable here that we're called to anything less. That we are called to live lives that glorify and, and, and make known the gospel. Verse 24, Paul says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor of precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, 
to testify to the gospel, the grace of God. So these three questions I gave you earlier for the, for the, for the community group, I, I want you to ask this though. How did Paul view his own life and self? How do we view ourselves? Right, what are we called to do in response to this? And again, I, I don't think most of us, if any of us, are called to physically die. Maybe, maybe. If that's what God calls you to, that's what God calls you to. But most of us will do this in the context of where we live now. But what must change then? How are we being called to be different then? Verse 25, it says, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Here's what Paul's saying is, listen, I've called you to the hard calling. I've told you I'm going to give my life for this thing. And I'm telling you, you're to do the same. If you do it, you will glorify and honor Jesus. If you don't, I'm innocent of it. Because I've told you what it means. Paul's message here is flying in the face of the feel-good church of today. The church that would tell you that God exists to make you happy and comfortable to make you rich and wealthy. But God is still calling us to die to ourselves and live for him. And Paul's saying, listen, I've communicated that. I've told you. I've lived it out. And I will continue to live it out. It's your turn now. Now you must live it out. Verse 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Here's what I want you to hear about the elders of our church. Uh, most of which are here. Some are at Team World Vision, uh, probably wrapping up their half marathon right now. Uh, some are finished. Here's the call that the men who help lead this church, here's what they've accepted. To guard themselves so that while leading others, they may not be disqualified. Because what they're called to lead, because what they're called to lead are the very people Jesus purchased with his own blood. Just let that sit on you for a minute. It's not some committee who helps decide the color of the carpet for the church. It's people that are saying, listen, man, we will do the hard work of loving this church that Jesus died for in our small little context, that we will love them, that we will guard them and protect them and oversee them to the best of our abilities. If Christ will enable us, we'll do a good job. Verse 29 it says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says they're going to attack the doctrine of the church. And then he specifically says, listen, and understand the calling of men and women in the church. And then he says, but I, it'll all be okay as long as we continue to testify to the grace of God. For you note takers, here's a, here's a note for you. Paul saw that the message of the gospel as his mission to share it with others, to build it into leaders, and to strengthen churches who needed it. All to make sure the gospel message continued to the world. 
Paul saw himself, and he will say these words to Timothy. He will say, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Guard what Jesus has given you. And that is what he sees his job, is to take this, what he has been given, and to give it away, and to make sure it's given away in whole part. Verse 31, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Here's Paul's final words as he proclaims the gospel over them one more time. He says, I I want you to know how important this is. He says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says, what I've given you is enough. The gospel message is enough. What Jesus has done on our behalf is enough, and the spirit he has given us is enough. And so I've given it to you. I'm giving it to you, and it's enough. You don't need to add. You don't need just part of it. You just, this is it. This is good enough to transform every life, every person, anyone who believes. And he uses the term, he says, that they may be sanctified, changed, or or made like Christ. Verse 33, it says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than receive. Here's what Paul calls a a life worth living. Paul's emphasis is to care more about others than yourself. He quotes Jesus teaching it's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul sees himself in this life that he is called to surrender to the gospel and that his personal wants, his personal desires, his personal needs, those come secondary to giving his life away for the gospel. And it is better to then give himself away to others who are in need than it is to receive. And he learned these words, really, by studying Jesus himself. So Jesus said this. Paul has lived this out as well and said this, repeated this to the leaders of the church that he is, that he is commissioning to take on in his absence, saying, I'm never going to see you again. And here's his final words that he's giving away to this church. And he reminds them, just remember, it's not about you. And in the church, we get so caught up in it being about us. And Paul just gives it to us, just says, listen, it's just not about you. Verse 36, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. I've handed off some churches now. I've handed off a church plant, something I started from scratch. I handed off a church that I restarted, a dying church that was just that was struggling to stay open, and we handed it off at, at, at several hundred people and tons of kids and families and you know, just countless baptisms and cool stuff and pastors that I've been able to raise up and, and put in place and just handed the whole church off. And, and I remember, I remember vividly each handoff, and I remember sitting with leaders, leaders that were like my closest friends on the planet, who were going to be entrusted with people that I felt some, 
I don't know if the ownership or responsibility, but I just, I had, I had led them to Jesus by the grace of God, and I baptized them, I'd married them, I'd seen their kids born, and, and I had this deep connection with them, and I remember sitting with leaders and saying, listen, and I met with each of them, and just, I remember my last words. Here's Paul's last words. Give it all away for the sake of the gospel. Live your life, not thinking about you, but thinking about the gospel. It is better to give than to receive. It's just not about you. It's about Jesus. Imagine if you had last words for your family, last words for a church, last words for someone you you cared so deeply about, you would strategically and, and intentionally think about these words. And Paul's words were this. Give your life away. Give it away for the gospel. Follow Jesus. Follow my example, Paul told them. So I just want to look at three passages, three questions as we close this up, and we just ask ourselves, what does this mean to us? Like, how do we take this away, and how do we figure it out? Because, you know, with over 100 people in the room, it's really hard to say, okay, this is the application. This is how you do it, because each one of us are so different. So I want to look at Jesus' words, Paul's words, and then just a commission to us. So Acts 20 says this, of course, but I did not account my life of any value as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel, the grace of God. So what did Paul teach that he learned from Jesus? What is his message? And what do you, what, what strikes that in you? What's the next one? What did Jesus teach about this? John 6, he says, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So if Jesus says this, Paul says this, and there's got to be something there for us. What is the will of God for us in our everyday lives? And the last one is this. What are we called to do in response to this? This is Jesus' words in Luke 9. He says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For I would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What are we called to do in response to this? What are you called to do in response to this? Let's pray. Jesus, as we hear challenging words, as we hear a a call directly from you, from, from Paul, your servant Paul, as we hear these these commands or imperatives to give ourselves away that it's not about us, that it's about your mission and your church. It's about those whom you love. It's about the message going beyond us to others. When we hear calls like, it's better to give than to receive, and yet we know in each of our hearts we're selfish and we want to receive more than we want to give. When we hear that this life isn't about us, that flies in the face of everything in our culture. Everything, everywhere, marketed to tell us it's about us. And Jesus, you say it's not. It is about you. And those who have decided, those who have, who have given their life over to following you, we know it's about you. But the war rages in us, in our selfishness, in our ego, in our pride, in our comfort, in our desire. And I don't know what this means for everybody in here, specifically. I don't know if you're calling anybody to leave where they are now and go and make that that missionary church planting out of the box approach that you've called many to. 
I believe that for most sitting here, Jesus, it will be us staying right here in this community, wherever we live, wherever we work, wherever we go to school, in the mom's groups, or the neighborhood, the marketplace. It'll be us being your messengers here. But God, I know there are some that you will call out. Some you will call to plant churches in other cities, and some you will call to take journeys around the world to make your message known to others. And I pray that today we would lay it all out there and just say, Jesus, wherever you would send me, I want to go. I know that there are people sitting here today, Jesus, that don't know you, don't follow you, have not taken that step of faith to say, I'm going to live my life bar none all the way to follow Jesus. I know some of them are being baptized today, Jesus. I pray that more would join them. I pray that all of us would leave here taking that step of faith saying, I, I don't know what it means yet, but whatever it means, I want to follow Jesus. Jesus, may those be all our words because you are worth every step. It's in your name we pray. Amen.